Show me the science with Professor Luke O'Neill. Hello, Luke O'Neill here again, and welcome to my show, Me the Science podcast. This week, I'm going to talk a bit about my own discovery, which is a bit sort of a bit of vanity, maybe, but uh, we've made what we think is a big breakthrough. Uh, we often use the word breakthrough in science, but we've certainly made a very interesting discovery, which has just come out in the journal Nature. Now, to the aficionados listening in, and I think I mentioned Nature before, it's your life ambition to get a Nature paper because it means it's in top journal and the whole world of science can see it and of course the reason we publish is to get our work seen by other people and then for them to develop on our ideas and if we found something fundamental other labs can then take it forward I guess so to get the nature is quite a big deal and we managed to get in a lot of effort two years of effort or more very hard work but finally nature accepted our paper the process by the way is you submit to nature the editors get a hold of it uh, gets refereed uh, by experts in the field they write their reports and then finally the editor makes a decision and what nature want is really groundbreaking stuff obviously it's the top journal so they only publish stuff that's really groundbreaking all the big discoveries published in nature for example the famous double helix of dna it's the 70th anniversary that actually was published in nature or darwin's work on evolution or whatever it might be all that came out of nature so to get in there is a thrill now i bet you're all on the edge of your seats what the hell has he discovered well it's about a disease called lupus so i'm going to tell you all about lupus and then how our discovery fits into that area now what is lupus well it's very much in my area because I guess people who listen regularly will know my big passion is inflammatory diseases. And these are diseases where your immune system, for unknown reasons, begins to beat up your own tissues. And rheumatoid arthritis is a big one that we're interested in, that your joints get attacked. Uh, inflammatory bowel disease is your digestive system. But lupus is a strange one. Nearly every organ can be attacked. And people with lupus, they will have arthritis. They might have kidney inflammation and kidney damage. They get mouth ulcers. They get fatigue, very bad fatigue. They get horrible rashes that are very debilitating for some people on their faces and parts of their body heart you know they have various aspects of their whole physiology gets attacked the eyes can get inflamed as well and what's happening is the immune system out of control going into those tissues and attacking them and hence we call it an autoimmune disease and lupus is one of the sort of ones that we study most because it's such a fascination and clearly for people listening who have it you'll know how debilitating it can be now there are some therapies as i'll explain uh, that help but we need new treatments and our work has uncovered something about what's going wrong in the body during lupus now how common is it well it's one of the rare ones mercifully you know rheumatoid has an incidence of about two to three percent is less than one percent will get lupus it's also called sle by the way systemic lupus erythematosus uh, another mouthful sle for short uh, the name is interesting the name lupus comes from the word wolf because in the ancient times people thought that the rash on someone's face say seemed to be a wolf bite which just shows you how sore and painful it can be. So that's where the word lupus came from in terms of this disease. So it's, it's not that common as others, but still, a lot of people in Ireland will have lupus. Now, what causes it? The age-old question, we don't know. Let's start with that straight up. And science, of course, doesn't know many things. And, and it's a great area to be into then because you're trying to solve the big puzzle as to what causes lupus. All that we can say is it's the immune system out of control. And you do see all the immune players get overactivated T cells B cells macrophages dendritic cells I don't know if I've ever mentioned them but they're a key part of the immune system they all go out of control and they begin to attack your own tissues so we know it's the immune system is the place to look if we want to try to find out what exactly is going wrong now it is partly genetic so it runs in families and uh, they reckon depending on the study you read maybe 30-35% genetic which means it's not definitive in other words you can have identical twins 
one will get lupus and the other won't. So it can't be completely genetic because they're identical in terms of their genes. But still, from those kinds of twin studies, there is a genetic component. The rest is environmental. Now, what would that environment be? Again, we'd love to know. Could it be a virus? That people look for viruses to trigger it. And in fact, um, I may have mentioned this in a previous podcast, uh, but a year ago now, a virus was found as a possible cause for multiple sclerosis, MS, which is another autoimmune disease, this time attacking your brain. And that virus, Epstein-Barr has been implicated in MS. We'd love to see a virus in lupus because obviously, if it is a virus, you might get vaccines to stop it then. But nobody's found a compelling you know, viral cause or a bacterial cause. But an infection is still part of it. The second big thing is something environmental in, in the environment. Now, what would that be? Could it be a pollutant? Could it be something that's happened? A trauma, an injury early in life? We just don't know what the environmental component is. And again, we'd love to find out. And again, lots of research is happening there. Now, before the 1950s, there was almost no treatments for lupus. And in fact, if you were diagnosed, now get this as an example of great medical progress. If you were diagnosed with lupus in the 1950s, most people only lived five years. They were dead within five years. It was as lethal as cancer. And they were dying of their hearts being attacked, for example, by their immune system or other parts of their body being attacked. And they're, you know, therefore death was, was hastened by this. Now, different story. Most people will live to a ripe old age. They'll go in and out of remission. That's a feature as well, by the way. And there are some drugs that slow it down or get rid of some of the symptoms. They don't cure it. They don't work in everybody. So there's still a reasonable number out there still being afflicted by it. But overall, the, the treatments that are there will extend life, which is great. Uh, now, some of the symptoms are there, but still, that death toll has been lessened. And again, an example of medical progress. Now, where are the treatments? Well, first of all, steroids. And again, um, anybody with an autoimmune inflammatory disease, very often steroids are the first line. Discovered in the 1950s by a scientist called Hench, who began to use steroids in rheumatoid arthritis. And steroids are potent anti-inflammatory drugs. And the trouble is they've got side effects. And you can't go on steroids for life, so they aren't ideal. But they will dampen down a flare in lupus, so they're used a bit. And then various immunosuppressants are used. Methotrexate is used, and that's also used in rheumatoid arthritis. And hydroxychloroquine, now there's one to mention. So chloroquine-based therapies do show some efficacy in lupus and they're anti-inflammatory. And that was one motivation, actually. Um, people may remember during COVID, chloroquine, hydroxychloroquine was thought to be a wonderful treatment. That was partly because it is anti-inflammatory in diseases like lupus so it might be anti-inflammatory in COVID didn't turn out to be true in COVID didn't work at all in spite of people claiming it, it did or it should uh, lots of trials showed hydroxychloroquine did not work So, but it does work in lupus that's the point I'm making so it's quite a good thing in, in lupus and 80 to 90% of patients will live relatively normal lives on these therapies but again they may see progression they may have symptomology that, that disturbs their lives things like fatigue for instance are still a feature so hence we need better treatments but as I said it's better than it was in the 1950s when um, this, was, this was a death sentence really now a couple of other things we know about is it's nine times more common in women now that's interesting we'd love to know why that is and in fact, sex differences in diseases is a really hot topic at the moment in medical research. It's been kind of neglected for decades, really. But lately, why do some women get some diseases and men not? And vice versa, by the way. So, for example, um, a lung disease called COPD is more common in men. So is heart disease than women. So lots of diseases show this, what we call a sex bias. Uh, and lupus, great example, nine times more common. Now, why would that be? Again, we don't know. It must be to do with maybe estrogen or testosterone having effects on the body. Women have more 
more estrogen than men, obviously enough. So maybe that's a part of it. And again, a lot of research is happening to explain that. And if we got a handle on that, then we might get a handle on treatments, mightn't we? Because, you know, these are lupus, you could treat women and lessen the risk of disease, possibly. So it's a very active area of research. The other thing is, it's very clear, it's much higher in Africa and in the Caribbean. And again, that's probably genetic because there's certain genes in certain populations that are more common. And again, they're looking at those genes. Could, could they study African people or people in the Caribbean and find what those genetic differences are? That might help a lot, you see, in understanding the disease process. And I'll name some of the genes for you. Now, what I'm talking about is variants in genes that appear in someone and having that particular flavor of the gene, if you will, increases your risk of lupus. IRF5, PTPN22. Now, people listening go, why is he giving us this jargon? That's sadly the world of immunology. These are two genes I know a lot about. Uh, IRF5 is part of the innate immune response. Uh, PTPN2 is more in T-cells. And there's variants in those that increase your risk of lupus. Now, of course, the fact that they're in the immune system tells you something, because they're obviously a bit like accelerators working too strongly and therefore driving the immune response, you see. So, so it's no surprise we find genetic differences in immune genes. And then that gives rise to immune dysregulation, I guess. So we're looking at those genes and trying to figure out, you know, can we target them in various ways? That should be helpful in the end. And that gives you the, an update, really, on where we are with our understanding of lupus and the kind of reasons for it. Now, the, there are some new treatments, it must be said, which are, which are showing some progress. We know that B cells are overactive. Now, B cells, as I mentioned, these are in the immune system to make antibodies. You get autoantibodies, meaning antibodies to your own tissues being made by the B cells and these are causing some of the damage and a drug that targets a thing called BAF it's called Benlista that can take out B cells because BAF is a protein that regulates B cells so again it must be 10-15 years ago now I think it was someone said it's blocked the B cells by targeting BAF the boss of the B cell if you will and then they showed a therapeutic effect and there was a bit of an effect there and that wasn't great but there was a bit of a benefit to taking out the B cells in that situation and that was that's the last drug to be approved I think it was about 15 years ago 10 years ago now just shows you how there hasn't been a huge amount of drug approval since then but certainly targeting the B cells would be useful and then the last thing to say before I get to my, my own work interferons now, interferons are very important immune proteins. They're made in infection. They're made when you have a virus, actually, because interferons are very good at uh, fighting viruses in our bodies. And lo and behold, you see a huge amount of interferons in lupus with no obvious trigger. There's no obvious virus to drive it. Normally, you see interferon, interferons in a viral infection. In this situation, that's not the case, but the interferons are being made. And we don't know why, except we seem to have found a reason for the interferons being made and for the macrophages, the key, one of the key inflammatory cells, being overactive in this disease. Now, what is the discovery? Well, let me tell you what it is. We've been studying macrophages. They're a very important frontline cell in the immune system. They chew up bacteria. They chew up viruses. Macrophage, in fact, means big eater. And we've studied macrophages when they're really irritated in our lab. And we can get them to become irritated in various ways. We can add things to them to activate them, if you will. And what we saw was an enzyme in the macrophage, get ready for this, called fumarate hydratase. Now, there's another mouthful for you. FH for short, was suppressed in the macrophage. It went down. And we thought, that's interesting. Why would the FH go down? And maybe that FH is some kind of break on the macrophage. And when it goes down then, the macrophage goes into overdrive and that's exactly what happens and what we found was the FH gets repressed and the macrophage gets turned on 
In particular, the macrophage, guess what, begins to make loads of interferons. Now, once we saw that, we immediately thought about lupus. And our next step was get some lupus patient samples and a very good collaborator of our lab, Caroline Jeffries, who works in Cedars-Sinai in Los Angeles. She works on lupus. We called her up and said, Caroline, could you look in lupus patients? And lo and behold, to our absolute delight, FH was repressed in the lupus patients. And we could link that FH repression to the interferon production in the lupus samples in the lupus patients. So suddenly we'd found a switch that gets flipped, if you like. It's a bit like a brake coming on. And then you begin to get loads of interferons, and that seems to be the case in lupus. So the first time ever we've linked FH into lupus. And it may not just be lupus. We think other diseases, you may see FH repression, and that might give rise to uh, an immune response as well. So we can, in fact, I've looked into the literature a bit in MS. There's some evidence of FH repression as well. So suddenly FH becomes the thing. Now you can imagine then nature said, oh, we'll have that, because nobody's linked FH into macrophages before in this way, and then the link to interferons and the link to disease. So now, of course, our dream would be restore FH in lupus patients. Would that then repress all the nasty inflammatory things that are happening, including the interference? So suddenly, well, when I say suddenly, we've been spending years on this, we have a new target to fire drugs at to treat lupus. Very exciting. Now, it's very early. We've just made this discovery. Drugs take a long time to develop, but now we're going down that road, basically. The last thing I want to tell you is, by the way, luckily, another lab in Germany, in the University of Cologne, led by a collaborator of ours called Christian Freze, made the same discovery, FH repression, but this time in cancer. And in particular, in a rare form of kidney cancer, he saw FH repression and he saw interferons as well. And that's helping the tumour. Now, nature loved that. And in fact, our papers have appeared, let's go back to back. Because here we have FH in lupus, down in lupus, driving that disease, maybe certain types of cancer. FH is down as well. So it opens up the vista now of FH in cancer and in lupus and, and of course that was a quite exciting development because it meant that our discovery is probably correct now remember you publish stuff with the best will in the world you hope it's true other labs have to repeat your work you may get it wrong the things called artifacts various things can happen but here we have a lab in Germany with FH and interferons linking those together just like us this time in cancer so we're very happy with Christian's work and it's been a lovely um, collaboration between our labs really and the papers came out together and that makes it even stronger as a whole area I was delighted with that because readers might go oh this is exciting because it's in two different diseases so that was quite nice as well the hope ultimately of course is that scientifically satisfying to see this FH connection but the hope ultimately is maybe we'll get a new treatment for lupus at some time in the future so watch this space meanwhile my lab keeps trying we keep trying different things and who knows this FH discovery has certainly energised us and we're now doing all kinds of research around FH so there you have it the science of lupus I know I um, went off on one there but then I am an immunologist and I was talking about exactly what I know about which I, I always like to do and the science of lupus very important disease new treatments needed and now we have a connection into this enzyme FH that may give hope to patients so there you have it thanks very much for listening and of course my podcast is a news talk production and is available for download every thursday thank you